Welcome to Veza Talks Podcast. Tune in as we delve into the digital world of entrepreneurship and uncover the strategies and tactics of successful online business leaders. My name is Mario Milanovic. I'll be the host. And today, uh, Stefan Katanich is co-hosting with me. He is the founder and president of Veza Digital. I'm super happy to have our guest, John Chapelier, with us. And uh, John uh, is a multi-award-winning author, entrepreneur with over 30 years of active experience. He has been involved firsthand in all facets of business building, including growth, decline, and turnaround of national and international levels. Starting at the age of 30, John started, built, ran, and sold five companies. And in just 10 years, his first two companies grew from a staff of two to 250, with sales of over $50 million per year. John received a U.S. Presidential Letter of Commendation, and he's the author of The Daily Six, which was awarded the Best Book Award from USA Book News. Welcome, John. <laughs> thank you, Mario. Thank you. It's good to see you too, Stefan. Um, thank you. I, I, I guess as you know, as you start to get older and older and older, that thirty years of experience probably I should probably adapt that to more like forty-five years of experience. But, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll stay with thirty. It leaves me a little bit of breathing room. Um, yeah. The thing is, I want to say one thing, and it's it, is that we we I just finished doing a collaborative book with three other people called People Come First, and it has to do with rebuilding um, business on a new uh, paradigm for a, this new century of quiet quitting and trying to get people to come back to the office or trying to get people reengaged. Um, and it and again, what tends to happen is that people think, well, this doesn't have anything to do with the people. It just has to do with I need to pay more money or uh, send them new equipment or change the way in which something works. And it's those are all great, but if you don't take care of the people, the people are not going to take care of what they need to do so that you can be productive. And and the reason somebody asked me the other day is that how well, why why doesn't that that seems very commonsensical? Why doesn't that happen? And I said because it's a lot harder. You know, it's a lot harder to be connected emotionally uh, with your people than it is simply to do the same one-dimensional engagement we've had for thousands of years, which is uh, you give me your time, I'll give you some money. And if we, unless we change that, people these days are just going to go, yeah, no, I think I'll just go work over here because all I have to do is sign off on your account and sign into somebody else. Absolutely. So before we get into your wisdom, and we will, <laughs> <laughs> I think our audience would really like to, to know about, you know, because there's so many companies that you started, uh, maybe right. you can run us through one of your companies that perhaps yeah. you were proud of, one that was sure. your baby. And uh, one uh, that maybe uh, gave you the most learning lessons, I suppose. Uh, okay. And, uh, you know, it would be really cool to hear from you about one of those companies. Okay. All right. Well, actually, my baby and my learning lessons is the same company. Um, <laughs> I had started and built one company earlier uh, in my career, um, right around 30. And it was an established business in Washington, D.C. I grew up in Washington, D.C. And so... Almost everything I did initially until I moved here to Florida uh, about 15 years ago has been in the city because I was born and raised in the city. Um, the, uh, the first business was a small, very old stationary office supply business. In those days, stationary stores sold, sold stationary and pens and these kinds of things and hundreds and hundreds of SKUs, which were, <laughs> which were really crazy and very difficult to manage, come at some sort of 
way to manage it. And all I did over that period of time, which was about six or seven years, was simply to um, uh, clean up the systems, improve the people, uh, change a lot of the way in which the business functioned and related to its people. Because, you know, it had been around since 1887. And I don't think really, I think two of the employees had started there in 1887 and they were still working there in 1967. So it was, a, you know, they were kind of elderly. And so we needed to make some changes and connect better with the with the retail market in that part of the city. And we did that and sales and profits soared dramatically, but it was a very small store. So it was, you know, soared dramatically is, is proportional to what we started with. So um, I took that and then I started my baby, which was a, another office products and office furniture business. Um, we started with office products, uh, but commercially, no retail. And so we sold business to business throughout uh, Maryland, Washington, and Virginia. And, um, that grew very nicely. Of course, the like we were just joking about the 80s earlier, and the 80s was a really great business time. I mean, it was, you know, uh, interest rates were pretty high when we started, but they began to drop pretty quickly. And so uh, capital became more affordable. And so expansion was much easier. Businesses were buying anything they could get their hands on, especially commodities. And so we came up with a way to uh, improve the value of the commodity to our clients, which was guaranteed next day delivery. We had uh, the truck drivers who were engaged in the sales process, as well as the salespeople engaged in the sales process uh, versus the companies that I had seen before where the salespeople and the delivery people seem to be at odds with each other, you know? And so, um, you know, the salespeople are making all this money and I'm doing all this work kind of thing. And so uh, we began to sort of flatten that pyramid a little bit, not so much in, in executive levels, because I've always done that, but this is where more of sort of that hierarchy that that sort of is unofficial hierarchy in an organization where the people making the most are the most important by far and away. And it's not that they're not. It's just that to make people feel better off is different than making people feel better than. And I don't want people to feel like they're better than somebody else. Better off, you might make more money. Okay. The sales. I've had a few truck drivers want to become salespeople and did great. But if they want to drive, I'm happy and proud of them for doing that. But they need to be able to be resourceful and they need to be able to help each other. And so that was sort of the beginning of that concept of let's connect emotionally so that everybody has the same issues. Everybody has the same goals. Everybody is moving at the same time in the same direction for the same reasons um, that the salespeople see the reasoning the accounting department sees the reasoning The warehouse pickers and packers who are working 24 hours a day um, see the reasoning behind what we're doing rather than, you know, not rather than feeling resentful that I have to do this or I'm working at two o'clock in the morning. He comes in at 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what's going on. So that business grew very nicely. That's the one you talked about that grew to a, a group of 250 people. In the book, I refer to uh, the early 90s, which is when which is when the learning experience came about. Uh, the business was doing a little over $50 million a year. We had, I don't know, seven or eight distribution centers uh, all over Maryland and Virginia. Now that $50 million a year was based on a $35 per sale process. So $50 million at $35 per sale. So there was a lot of process going through the business, a lot of billing, a lot of collections, um, and a lot of deliveries. So um, in 1991, we had just gotten a nice big loan from our bank, uh, 1990, a nice big loan from our bank. And 
I'm sitting around going, this has been great. I mean, the 80s have been rolling along. Everything's good. Uh, and then 1991 was a huge contraction because the the Fed in the in the U.S. changed the way the banks could keep assets on their books. They made them take all their real estate off their books because it was too inflated. So what the banks decided to do was, well, then let's go and collect all of our loans. That sounds like a really good idea. And unfortunately for me, I had one of those businesses that had a lot more assets than I had debt. And so guess who they came to talk to right at, right, right away? Me. Um, and the book I refer to it, and this was a long time before uh, Trump got into politics, uh, but it was exactly the same situation that he was in, in that he had huge amounts of debt, but he had no assets. So the bank kind of left him alone. And for me, I had a huge amount of debt, but I had plenty of assets that the bank could could take over and sell and then pay themselves off. And that's exactly what happened. So for me, that was a quite a, quite a learning lesson when you, you know, the, uh, you walk into a room and you're supposed to meet with the president of the bank, who's been a good personal friend, played golf, wife came to our wedding and all these other things. You walk into the meeting that you're going to have with the, with one-on-one -on -one and you end up with eight people sitting on one side of the table and I'm sitting on the other side of the table. So again, these are lessons that you learn that you don't forget quickly. Um, I call mm -hmm. these gifts of devastation. These are the things that you really would prefer not to get in any form at all, ever. And yet you get them and you can't return them. So, you know, the idea is you have to work through those gifts, the, the heart attack, the divorce, the bankruptcy, the business loss, the changes. You had, you had alluded earlier that this is this is like a second entrepreneurial shot with a lot of people. And the thing is, is that most times the second shot will be dramatically more successful than the first because of the lessons learned. So I can remember a friend of mine saying, you know, there's going to be a time when you're going to be grateful for this bank action. <laughs> and I said, I really don't think that's going to happen. And it probably took, I don't know, six or seven years, honestly, before I could go, I'm really happy I'm on this new path because I was able to take a, a, a business that was doing $50 million a year with about 300 employees and turn that into a business doing almost exactly the same amount of net profit with eight employees and no distribution centers. It was all based on phones. People could work from home. Uh, that was even in the old days because they would call into a central center that created their, their orders for them. But it was a, a print brokering business. And so we went, we went from di uh, product distribution to servicing. And the service business is dramatically easier to handle as far as uh, uh, getting the orders. And the nice thing was is that we used exactly the same client base. We had you know $50 million of the client base. So I took the client base asked them if they would like us to handle their printing and graphics and distribution. And they said, oh, yeah, sure, because they already trusted us. They already knew we were we were reasonable and we were honest. And so the, that business took off immediately with almost no debt because it was always we would buy it, mark it up. The client would pay directly pay the printer and we would just take a commission. And um, that was a great business. I had that for 12 years, I think. Uh, along the way, I built a um, well, we originally had a typesetting part of a business, which I sold quickly since typesetting became sort of, you know, antiquated very quickly. We went into graphic design and then graphic design evolved into a new business that had was doing this brand new concept of web development. So we were we were doing a web design for clients and um, uh, and it was a very fun and, and, and enjoyable business. Um, I was a little frustrated with printing because printing is can be a very frustrating business, but uh, the rest of it was a lot of fun because it was very much following the excitement of what was happening and moving from 
uh, hard press type to all electronic design. Um, I sold that business in uh, 2002, 2002. And then uh, I spoke to a couple of leadership groups uh, about the, over that period of time is when I began creating the tenets of the Daily Six, the concept of being willing to learn, spend a little quiet time every day. Um, and those, as those tenets began to develop, I had friends of mine who had run companies um, in Washington who said, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, we would like to learn how to do we would like to learn how to do that. So I ended up coaching some of these CEOs. And then that led to, can you come and do some workshops for us? And can you do, and of course I wasn't really set up for that, but I started creating these workshops all based on these ideas that if you could engage your people, you could get a much higher level of productivity out of them. So what was happening was productivity was going up, profitability was going up. And at the same time, absenteeism and turnover was going down. And so it was this great foursome that businesses love, the two that go up and the two that go down. Um, and so that spread pretty well through DC. I started doing an awful lot of leadership development, speaking to different groups and chambers and uh, clubs. And a friend of mine who <clears throat> is also a business author, uh, Bob Rosen, who's written a number of books. Um, and uh, he might be a great guest for you to talk to sometime. Okay. Um, Bob is... Uh, Bob has been a really good friend of mine along the way. And he was at one of my talks and he came up to me very, very directly at the end of one of my talks and said, you need to write a book about this. This is something that's really important. People need to see this. I'm like, oh, how hard can writing a book be? Yeah, sure. I'll do that. Hmm. So, you know, <laughs> so, I, you know, I'd been a talker, as you can tell, you can, I've been a talker <laughs> my whole life. And so it was much easier to talk than it is to write. So about a year and a half in, I, I finally finished the book and Putnam, large uh, Putnam publishing firm in New York published the book and it came out and it was just, it was fun. It was exciting. And that was probably the most exciting component was flying places and doing um, uh, readings or doing book signings and those kinds of things. And cool. the nice thing for me was it helped crack my shell of hubris and that was the hardest part for me was to sort of move from being filled with hubris to being filled with humility and learning to be grateful for where I am figuring versus figuring I'm just do all this because I worked really hard. Okay, cool. So before we talk about your book, which I'm super interested in, um, you know, it's, it's so uh, interesting to, to listen to people open up about failures. I've had my share of failures and, you know, uh, what people really see you know, is not really what happens for entrepreneurs and people that start companies. You know, there is right. a daily grind. There is the sleepless nights. There is, the, like you said, the divorces, the breakups, the, you know, the, the times when you stand on the bridge going, should I just jump, you know, <laughs> you know, no, and uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, um, walk us through uh, your experience. In other words, what led you to go from, you know, chasing money, so to speak, to mm -hmm. actually um, you know, uh, quieting down and maybe listening to the universe a little bit more and enjoying life a little bit more. What was that transition uh, for you? It's, it's one of those odd coincidences you look back on and go, I'm not sure exactly why that happened the way it did, but I'm really grateful that it did. Um, I had three friends and I, there, I remark about them in the book, um, Rock Hudson, not, not the movie star, but a Rock Hudson that I knew. Uh, who uh, was a night watchman in a Cadillac dealership. 
I, I happened to run into him in, a, in church one day, and he seemed to be one of those guys that was sort of standing off on the side, and everybody was sort of crowded around him, and he was smiling and chatting, and he wasn't, you know, braggadocious or anything else. He was just being a nice, quiet guy, and so I looked at him, and I went, you know, I think I'd like to be more like that than the guy who needs to hold the spotlight. Maybe I should learn to be the guy who, I mean, instead of needing to be in the spotlight, maybe I should learn to hold the spotlight a little bit. And then another one was um, Mark Anschutz, who is a uh, an Episcopal priest. Uh, my wife, Susan, and I had gotten married in 86, so that by 91, well, I got remarried. So my first marriage ended, as you, we talked about earlier. I got remarried in, 80, in 86. Our son was born in 88. And Mark was his became his godfather, and we had him baptized in this church. And so for some reason, Mark and I just hit it off. I can't to tell you that I had ever become a friend with a with a head of a church would be something I would have <laughs> thought. Oh my God, this can't possibly happen. But I mean, Mark was just a great guy, and we just talked and and had a, a lot of you know a lot of really exciting and interesting exchanges. And so what what Rock helped me with was humility. And what what Mark helped me with was a spiritual base of your life, you know, living sort of spiritual, not necessarily not religious, but spiritual values. And then John Gray, who was a friend of mine, who was an international energy consultant, flew all over talking about uh, uh, um, atomic energy, atomic energy for for countries on a country level. And John was one of those guys who also went through this gift of devastation where he had he had been voted out of his company by his board of directors, which is always a nice way to get get fired. Your own company fires you. So, you know, he said to me, this is what happened to me. This is how I went through. And these are the changes I made. If you want to save yourself a whole lot of pain, this might be a good way to go. And so that's when I sat back and thought, okay, well, if I'm going to rebuild my life, maybe I should do it differently than go back and just start focusing on me making a lot of money. So that's when the idea of, well, maybe if I focus on others, maybe that will be helpful. And it was funny because it started almost immediately because it was the service business that I was running at that point. I only had a few employees. And as I focused on getting them clients and getting them more profitability, it was funny how they got more excited about coming to work and how they got more excited about making more calls. And so the, the one conclusion I came to is the most addictive drug in the world is success. You know, if you help people become more successful, you become more successful. And they eventually, if they believe that you are their conduit to success, they will follow you anywhere. They will do the things you need them to do. They will do them when you're not around. They will do them when, you know, it's just something that you're giving them a sense of value that they never had before. And still to this day, I find clients, I mean, I've got a, if you had a longer podcast, I'd tell you about it very wealthy company here in Jacksonville, Florida, that has just invited their people back to the office and, and at the same time have done everything they could possibly do to not make them want to come back to the office. So, wow. and they have, yes, exactly. And they have piles of money. So it's not like they had, they just built a beautiful building. It's right on the river and nobody wants to come back in the office because of the rules and regulations that are associated with this new change. And everybody's like, you know, we've been working at home for three years. We'll just stay home. So they've spent all this money building this building and building all these spaces for people that just aren't really interested in coming back. And in this market, it would be hard to fill. It's about a thousand people that are not very happy right now. So I have a lot of work for a long time ahead of me, which is nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but it's just it's still astounding to me is why would you do that? Why you know why would you do that? Where in the world would you think that having your best people treating them in a way that that is absolutely diametrically opposed to the way you want them to feel, why would you do that? And again, like I said to the person earlier, because it's easier to do than it is to create an emotional connection. That's much right. harder, but right. pays mm-hmm. much bigger dividends. It's it's mm-hmm. it's so interesting to uh, to have a discussion like this because you know a lot of people uh, today they they look at uh, you know us older guys as <laughs> you know over the hill. Uh, what do you guys bring? You don't even know how to use technology and all this, which is you know, but. It's 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 interesting how you can literally go back 50, 100 years and principles are pretty much the same, you know, and that yeah, is, you know, and that is, you know, uh, the, the human element of of companies and, uh, you know, p- uh, people wanting to be at a company because they're valued, et cetera, et cetera, you know. And so it's really it's really cool to, to hear from somebody as accomplished as you. Uh, so. Uh, let's get it a little bit into the, you know, um, kind of the, 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 the universal kind of, uh, talk okay. about, you know, okay. uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Esther Hicks power of intention kind of stuff, because, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people nowadays, you know, they're just, again, you know, it's about revenues, it's about money, you right. know, and it's about being busy. Right. And right. so, right. you know, a lot of times, you know, quieting down and doing the meditation and everything like that will give you the 10x, the 50x. But, you know, right. it's very difficult for the younger generation to realize that up until they get, you know, these gifts of devastation. I'll tell you, that'll teach you faster than almost anything else. It will require <laughs> pain. We require yeah. pain to make real changes. You know, it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't have to be. I tell people, you know, you don't have to have a heart attack to go on a low-fat diet. You can go on one prior to the heart attack. But guess what? Most people don't. So, but this, the spiritual stuff that I, I, you know, it's certainly not religious and I didn't think of any of these, these ideas. It just seemed to me that when I'm, when Bob came up to me and said, you need to write a book about this, it was sort of, okay, well, what am I doing that's making these other CEOs and leadership groups come to me and ask me to talk? And um, I realized I was talking about business, but I was talking about it through the filter of the daily six. And so I began to codify what I meant by these things. And and the beginning is willingness, which is the idea that if you're not willing, <laughs> if you're not willing yeah. to try a new thing or feel a little uncomfortable or find a new teacher to teach you new lessons, then nothing's going to change, which is in my, in my leadership work, I give everybody one of these little bracelets. It says the daily six on one side and it says willingness on the other side because that's where it all starts. And I worked in a Saudi hospital, this is a little aside, I worked in a Saudi hospital about for about five years, about right before COVID is when we sort of stopped working for about five years prior. And every time I would go in and do a workshop, I would give people these bands and I would come in. Usually they, they have two big segments of time where they bring in consultants from out of the country. And one is in the spring, one is in the fall. And I would give them out in the spring and I would give them out in the fall. And when I would come back the next spring, I'd be walking through the halls and everybody would be holding up their band like this going, Hey, I still have this. I'm still wearing this. And I'm thinking that's what, you know, people need a sense of connection. They want a sense of connection. And it is astounding because they don't get it anywhere else. Here's the big secret, ladies and gentlemen, 
treat your people like they're important because they are important, you know? So that's the big secret. So be willing to try new things, find new teachers, learn new lessons. And then the first one is set yourself a path that you can follow during the day, which is quiet time. I don't, you don't have to, you don't have to do some transcendental meditation or anything. Just sit and follow your breath for five minutes or two minutes. Or, I mean, I think when I started, my brain started talking to me after about 15 seconds about what are you doing? You don't have time for this. Get up, get up, get up, you know, kind of thing. And so it takes time. It's like anything else practicing. I was, I was writing an article this morning while I was waiting for you guys about value ladders and value ladders usually do have to do with the more value you give somebody, the more you can charge for it. And the thing is, I was thinking about, but the more value that you give yourself, the more peaceful you can become. If you treat yourself mm -hmm. like you're valued rather than you're a commodity. I mean, like you said, you know, we forget about the, the work the entrepreneurs do. I mean, the night long nights and all these other things. So if I could give you a, a solution to stop losing so much sleep and stop having indigestion all the time and heartburn and all these other things, stress in your shoulders. And, you know, if I could give you a path for that, would it help? And I everybody says yes, but not everybody wants to try being quiet for a little bit because mm -hmm. it seems as if it's counterproductive. And yet any person I've ever coached through a process of learning how to be meditating, even, even if it's just a few minutes a day, Every single person I've had, I've never had anybody go, that was a complete waste of time. <laughs> Everybody has, has always said, God, that has been such a great help for me. Because right before I tell people, right before you walk into a meeting, just close your eyes, take a couple deep breaths before you pick up a phone call. That's really important. Take a cup, you know, because this is where we, this is the difference. People talk about intention and reality. You know, we set good intentions and, but reality always overtakes us. So how do we continue to reinforce our intentions? And that is through quiet time. You take a couple deep breaths. What was my intention this morning? My intention was to guide people towards better success, not to yell at this guy for being, for, for messing something up. And so we can follow our intentions. And so then the next component is service, being service focused towards others rather than just this. You know, this was the holding the spotlight rather than standing in the spotlight, which is really sometimes it's very hard for uh, entrepreneurials because it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of ego for us to want to be willing to sacrifice enough for us to become successful. The thing is, is that most of the executives I find that are doing that, that are focused this way, feel as if they have... They are dragging their company forward towards success. You know, I just wish they would learn how to do these things. And everybody that I've taught that works from a spiritual component feels as if the company is pulling them forward. And it's much easier for 10 or 15 people to pull one than one to pull 10 or 15. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's the, that's the idea of, of working as a service focus. And you can, I have clients who do this dramatically. I mean, they, they sign the whole company up for, soup kitchens or Salvation Army or whatever it might be, and they rotate through the different work or, or they just do something that means something meaningful for them above and beyond making money. Uh, and it also helps build that sense of connection between the people. And then next is love and forgiveness, because for me, love and forgiveness are two sides of the same coin. You can't really be loving unless you're forgiving and you can't be forgiving unless you're loving. And I use love, love, the definition for love I put in the book is understanding the needs of others and treating those needs as important as if they were mine. Okay, that's it. There's nothing else. And that works whether it's a child, a spouse, a customer, 
a competitor, an employee, subordinate, superior, anyone. If I'm focused on their needs and treating them not worse or better, just as important as mine. And this is where I started talking to people who always put other people first. You know, when I started writing the book, I never thought of those people because I was definitely not one of those people. But I started working with nurses and I started working with teachers and all these people who tend to sacrifice constantly for the needs of others. And I, and I taught them to sort of raise their sense of self-value up so that they were treating people equally, not I'm, you're up here and I'm just going to be subservient. Um, I did a talk to the International, Educa International Group of Education in Europe about this, about sending teachers sort of out into the world to work by themselves independently in, in small groups, which is basically a classroom, without having the sen sense of self-confidence and sense of value of self. Um, and forgiveness is just letting go. Forgiveness is stop imagining you're going to have a better yesterday <laughs> because <laughs> yesterday's gone. It isn't going to change. If it was bad, you know, if the bank came and took the company, the bank came and took the company. I can't wish it was different or hope it was different. It's just here's where I am. And my only choice is moving forward. That's, that's my only choice. Right. So, John, I have a good question. Um, so sure. you talked about... Um, your employees and how to, to, you know, have a better work environment. How can you take this thought that you just explained and channel that into customers? So for example, at Vesa Digital, you know, we deal with a lot of businesses, obviously we're in the marketing mm -hmm. space. So what would you, what kind of suggestions and direction could you give uh, us as a company uh, for our customers? Okay. Well, the main thing for me, and I, I did a workshop for a, a local business paper um, uh, once, and I asked them, since that's all they sell to, they just sell to people that are buying ads and doing interviews and all sorts of things. And I said, well, how many of you um, call people for work or send emails or whatever it might be? And of course, everybody raised their hand. And I said, well, how many people call you back or send you emails back? And nobody's hands, no hands went up, none. <laughs> the reason that they don't call you back is there's no value associated with wasting their time. Okay. Right. It's my time. I have what you want and I will call you when I need it. You know, I'm not going to call you to check in or chat or, and I don't want you to call in and chat. But if I know you, if I know that you have your daughter just got married, or if I know that your kid is sick, or if I know that you love the opera and the opera is coming to town, or if I, if I know you more than the product you buy. And so that's the thing for me is again, an emotional connection. Is that harder than just sending out emails? Absolutely. Is it pay, pay dividends way beyond that? Absolutely. Um, the, the people f to a 100% went from zero people raising their hand to 100% raising their hand in 90 days. Um, you know, are people calling you back? Are, you know, you're checking in just to see how they're doing because you heard the da-da-da-da-da or the company's laying off some people and you hope you're feeling good about that and the changes that are occurring versus just, hi, this is John. I'm just checking to see if you need anything. And the answer to that normally is, no, I don't, because you're wasting my time. Let's get off the phone so I can get back to work. So, again, it's it's the detail understanding of, you know, I have a friend of mine who um, uh, who talks about this a lot. He calls it love is a killer app. 
And, and it is the fact that it, the more connected you can become to the clients you use, the more reason they have. These are, if you're going back to the old fashioned business ideas, it was hooks. I mean, how many hooks do you have in a client? And if all the, the only hook is buy my stuff, that's one hook, you know, personal connection. I know their anniversaries. I know their birthdays. I know the names of their kids. I know this. These are all little hooks that you have in the people that your competitors just have one hook in. So when it comes to who are they going to call back, who are they going to check in with, if they have a problem, this is the kind of person that stops being a salesperson and becomes a trusted advisor. Trusted advisors don't sell stuff. They ensure and enhance the relationship between the two people. So we have to move away from the idea that we are, we are product distributors. We are, we are people who look at their issues and look at their needs and figure out a way to make things better, not with my products, just make things better. Okay. Yeah, Absolutely. Amazing. I love that. You know, I love that. Well, one thing we do, one thing we pride ourselves here is like we invest a lot in the relationships, right? Because it's not just a transaction, although a transaction is always the outcome. It's all the points up until those hooks that you say. So it's like birthday wishes, New Year's, Christmas, sending gift baskets because, listen, like we know what a gift basket for them and their family, like a pancake breakfast mix means for them on a Sunday morning because they have a family, you know? And we've invested a lot of just time and effort to see exactly who these people are and what they value. And that's actually like the leading indicator of our success is like how frequently are we talking with our clients and partners um, outside of the business world, right? Outside sure. of like, hey, you need, you need a new marketing website. And it's worked really like real wonders for us, you know? And I think that's yeah. like, that's, what's, that's what makes us different compared to like the different competitors, what you, what you just and, mentioned. And see, again, Stefan, I, I believe that if I asked you, well, isn't that just common sense? You would say, well, sure it is. Of and course. if it's common sense, why isn't everyone else doing it? You know, kind of thing. Absolutely work it takes more work um yeah. i remember having a um I, we used to send letters home uh at least once a year to the family mm -hmm. we would send a letter to the wife or the husband whoever was not working for us and saying thank you for allowing your husband or wife to work for us and take up a lot of your life because we keep them late or we work them early yeah. and and it's your support and your nurturing that allows him or her to be this successful thank you and I've had employees frame those and hang them in their office because guess what? They've never gotten them from anyone else they ever worked for. And it's a piece of paper with a signature on it and letterhead and an envelope and a stamp. That's the entire nice. investment. And so, you know, remembering I, I used to have one of the days off that you got when I had employees, which I'm not unhappy that I have no employees these days. But when I had employees, we gave them all their birthdays off. Because mm, everybody nice. gets off Christmas or holidays or whatever it is. That's everybody's day. Well, what's my day? What's my special day? My only special day is my birthday. And so that was a holiday. And it worked out great because people were like, hey, I get off tomorrow because it's my birthday. You know, it's just like, and again, <laughs> it was sort of a fun little kibitzing back and forth. And anything you can do to help create more connection that's disconnected from sales and money, more personal and connected in their in their in here rather than just in here so that's really an amazing uh, um, thing to think about uh, one of the one of the things that I notice is uh, you know the new generation whatever they are um, are addicted to mm -hmm. their telephones social media and whatnot and I'm seeing uh, the younger generation becoming less and less sociable in real life 
Right. What suggestions do you have for the next generation, so to speak, to work on actively in, in order to form some of these relationships, which, you know, you and I took for granted, but nowadays it's becoming more and more difficult for, you know, right. the, the 20-somethings, even 30-somethings to basically go out and, and, and meet people and uh, talk about not only business, but, you know, even a, a personal life, you know. So what suggestions right. do you have? Well, it's if I had that answer, I probably would be, um, you know, living on my own private island somewhere in the in, <laughs> in the south of France. It's uh, the uh, the the answer really to me has always been: Do you see the value associated with what I'm suggesting that you do? If there's no value associated with it, it's just not going to happen. So for me, as a as an older executive, it would be it would behoove me to teach my people the value of one on one connection. It also helps. It it also depends on your market. If your market is local, I mean, if I was just selling around here, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and the Rotary Clubs and all the other kinds of things are wonderful things to do. But if you're selling nationally or internationally, like I do. I can't hop in a plane and go see you guys in Thailand because I want to just check in and see how you're doing. Um, but I can learn to find a way to make that connection personable. I mean, now I can reach out to you, Mario, and we can talk and we can see. Same with Stefan. How's it going? What's How's your web business doing? You know, there's a way in which we can connect with that as long as it's not only transitional. I mean, transactional, excuse me. Um, okay. I remember once having an employee had a sales rep quit and was trying to take a very large client with him to a competitor. And I went to visit the, um, the client and I learned another one of those wonderful lessons you get a chance to learn, which is the client looked at me and went, this is the first time I've ever met you. Why would I concern myself with your company? You know, this guy comes in and sees me every single week. I know him, I trust him. I don't know you, I don't trust you. I know your business and I trust it, but not you. And so I guarantee you from that point forward, every single one of my clients knew who I was, knew what I looked like, knew what my concerns were, my goals, because that was a that was a terrible smack in the face. And so you can still do that these days. You can do it. I mean, because they have so many opportunities to connect, it doesn't mean is a face to face meeting better than this. Sure. Can I get to Thailand today to see you guys? No, I can't. So that's just not going to work. So we use the, we have to use the technology we have. Um, you know, there were relationships that were deep and strong before anything. I mean, when people were just writing letters back and forth, they had deep emotional connections to each other, you know, no, no audio, no video, no nothing. And weeks and weeks between the connection. So use the technology. There's nothing wrong with a, a video call. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, you know, to, I mean, I've had a daughter who lives in Honolulu who I love like crazy and two grandchildren who live in Honolulu. And I talk to them at least, at least a couple of times a week because I need to stay in touch with what my, my grandson just built himself a little boat. And, you know, if you live in Hawaii, it's nice to have a little boat. Like, you know, my, yeah. my granddaughter is going to high school and I want to find out what's going on there. So those connections are critically important, especially, you know, a 14 year old person is only going to be 14 for one year. So that's it. You know, you've right. got to stay connected as the, as the process goes forward and you have to stay connected closely enough. So you so you're valuable. You can ask the right questions and check in on the right situations, not just like, hey, how's everything going? You know, um, because if you don't know, 
they know you don't know. And it's the same way with a client. So I would just suggest digging into your technology as deeply as you can to find a way to do the things we're talking about, not mm -hmm. skip them, not skip them. I don't know absolutely. if that's as clear No, no, as that I makes, absolutely makes sense. Um, so uh, just, just to clear it up, I'm working uh, in Thailand and I'm uh, in Asia right now. And Stefan is uh, in uh, Eastern Europe, in Belgrade, Serbia, actually, and he's in, uh, working the European market. So uh, <laughs> we're on opposite sides so, and you're in the US. So it's, it's amazing to yeah. be able to use technology. Absolutely. Right. But I'm sure that, you know, one of us will be in each other's uh, body, so to speak, and we'll have yeah. a beer and a steak and uh, we'll have a, a nice laugh. Um, Stefan, I know you wanted to ask a couple of questions to, uh, to John. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, it's John, it's really inspiring. Listen to your story and just thinking about all the things that you've been through, like one of your problems with the bank coming to you, knocking on your door. Hey, let's have a one-on-one -on -one meeting. You show up, it's eight versus one, right? And it, it's, it's cool how those challenges actually shape you and, and put you and elevate your mindset to think, oh, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I've definitely figured, faced similar challenges. I mean, not at that um, caliber, but, you know, challenges in, that are relevant to my age group, to the size of my business, right? And every single time, uh, we've always had a frame of mind coming from Mario. You know, it's one step back, but sometimes two or three steps forward. And if that doesn't happen, like, you wouldn't be where you are today. It's a, it's a crazy learning curve. And, you know, I'm, I'm only 29 years old, turning 30 now in April. And this is my second business. So as a 30-year-old that has a second business that does, you know, around two, that's, this year we're projecting to do $3 million in AR. What would you say, you know, would be the one key thing a young CEO like myself and many of our listeners should focus on? Well, let's put it this way. I have a very successful 29-year-old um, in New York City that I've been coaching for 15 years. Okay. Wow. 29 subtract 15. He started his first yeah. business when he was 14 or 15 and I've been working with him off and on since then. And what I tell him now is cause he's finally kind of where he wants to be. You know, the business is good. The, it's rolling along. I said, give yourself a chance to enjoy the different, the complexities of your work. Give yourself a chance to enjoy. Are you, have you taken a break? Do you have a partner you need to spend more time with? Do you, you know, have you always wanted to go? You're in, you, you know, you're in Eastern Europe, some spectacular areas in Eastern Europe to visit. Uh, you know, right. have you done any of those? Have you been down to Greece? Have you enjoyed yourself there or somewhere throughout the Mediterranean? You know, we, we work for a reason. There's a reason that's beyond money that we work. But mm -hmm. usually what happens is we get so caught up in the, but I'll do that. And in the book, I call these the as soon as is, you know, I'm going to take a break as soon as this happens, or I'm going to, I'm going to, this is going to stop. I'm going to start paying attention to my personal life. As soon as the new branch opens up, or as soon as the new clients come in online. Um, but th there's always another as soon as, so my suggestion would be to give yourself a break based on the success that you have. If you have a chance and you can take a half a day, take a half a day. If you can take a day or two, take a day or two. Give yourself a reward for the hard work that you've been doing because we tend to, what I did, and this is the reason I got divorced, divorce, kids, you know, the kids couldn't stand me, the wife couldn't, ex-wife couldn't stand me because what I did was I picked my personal life up and I put it back here on a back burner and I figured as soon as I get all of this taken care of, then I can pay attention to them back there. Right. And guess what? They're not, they're not sitting around back there waiting for you to come back. 
They're living mm-hmm. their lives going forward. And so what you need to do is, is make sure that you're expanding your focus into your whole life, not just your business life. And that would be what I would suggest mostly, because I know as an entrepreneur, I mean, still to this day, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, I have people say, well, haven't you retired yet? And I'm like, why would I do that? You, you know, you're just sitting around molding, you know, getting older and older. And I said, this is fun for me. I enjoy what I do. I, I you know, I get a kick out of it. So for me, it's enjoyable and I get a chance to both work and play. And that would be to me, the number one thing would be make sure you're enjoying the fruits of the labor that you are already sown. You know, you've sown the seeds. They're giving you returns on your investment. Enjoy those. Don't just wait until there's some specific time where you can, okay, now I can take a break because that never comes. Yeah. I think definitely. We're we're, we're definitely really good advice. We're definitely living and balancing work. And uh, I've been fortunate during COVID actually during COVID I traveled more during COVID than I ever did in my life before. You know, everything was close. I was in Europe, you know, so uh, a one hour flight from anywhere I want, any Mediterranean, any South of France, you know, I'm there within an hour and I had, I had a really good opportunity to enjoy that. Right. And I've always went with the attentions because we're also not, we're also a growth marketing agency, but we're also a white label agency and work with a lot of different partners that white label okay. us that we white label. So going to these different cities and meeting our different partners, it wasn't always pleasure. It was always business and pleasure. So I kept a fine balance even when I was going and traveling. I think that was, that was super important because if I was back in Toronto, just, you know, at our office there every single day, yeah, you know, I'd be hustling, I'd be working, but then I get stuck in that one frame of thinking and, you know, when you change your environment, who you're with, you elevate your thinking and, and you become more open to these new experiences. And as a result, that creativity you get from a new environment, that goes through your business anyways and everyone benefits. Absolutely. No, so, absolutely. John, Physical um, change is important. Yes, Mario, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um, so if, um, if you were in my shoes and if there was a question that you feel that you would ask yourself, what would that question be? Am I happy? Are you happy? <laughs> Am I happy? You know, and, <laughs> based on the fact that happiness is only accessible through the door of gratitude, you know, because mm-hmm. when I'm grateful, things are not taken for granted. I mean, I used to take it for granted. Am I happy? Well, yeah, I got a lot of money. I got a nice car, houses, but it was always, a, it was always objective things that were supposedly making me happy. And, Nowadays, it is, it's certainly nice to have a nice home and live in a nice neighborhood, but those are sort of the, the, the payment for entry. Okay, now that I'm here and I've got the house and the stuff is here, what am I doing to make myself um, feel more valuable to the world in which I'm surrounded by? Am I doing something in my community? Am I doing something in, if I'm connected to a church, am I doing something with that? If I'm connected to my community, what am I doing there? And the funny thing is the less I focus on me, the happier I get because the more grateful I am. As, as Stefan said, you know, when you're outside and you're changing your physical location, you start noticing different things and appreciating different things. And when you, when you physically and emotionally do different things, just in your normal life. I suggested sometimes to, to a person one time, just drive home on a different road. That's all. Just right. take a different yeah. path home. And he came in the next day and went, that was so cool. I found three or four things I'd never <laughs> seen before. You know, it's like, it doesn't take a lot to move us forward. And 
happiness, you know, as I begin to find that I need to be grateful for all things, like the bank coming in and screwing me up on in 1991. I mean, my business was doing very well. It had never missed a loan payment. We were not behind in any way under any circumstances, you know, but it happened. And so I have two choices. I can either sit in a corner and be unhappy about that, or I can find something to do and, and find a way to make that work and then keep going forward. And so I have to learn to be grateful for the situations that I have found myself in and the have to be able to be appreciative of the fact that I was able to work on those and get to where I am today. And that's almost always now, you know, I make sure my, my wife and I both work from home. And so you know, I have to make sure that Susan doesn't mind me being here. That's always a nice thing. You know, so it's it's <laughs> happiness. Happiness to me is always a matter of having people around me who are happy for me to be there. You right. Know, you know, versus tolerant of me being there, you know, which is Absolutely. sort of the way it used to be. So. Well, I think this is a really good note to finish off the podcast. I think happiness is something that everybody strives for. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, everybody has the ability to be. It's a choice a lot of times, you know. But uh, uh, John, tell us uh, where people can find you and tell us about your book and all that okay. beautiful, those beautiful well, things. Well, Chapelier is a little bit complicated to spell, but if they're watching the podcast, I think you'll see my name along the bottom. But my um, almost everything is findable through John Chapelier. Um, that's my YouTube website. Most of the social media comes through John Chapelier. Um, if it's not that you just type in my name and lots and lots of pages will come up and you can find pretty much anything you want. The daily six is available, um, in the hardbacks are all sold out, but the paper, the paperback and ebook and audiobook are all available through Amazon. Um, and then people come first, which is the new collaborative book is available on Amazon as well. Um, uh, people come first deals with much more, uh, organizational issues. The, the daily six was more of a personal change, personal growth book that just happened to morph into all sorts of other ways in which people could create positive, permanent change. So, um, but they're all available website. The last time I took a look at it was up and running nicely. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh, awesome. uh, yeah, well, thank you good. so much, John. I really, we really appreciate you being on the podcast. I think, uh, this was a really beautiful uh, conversation and, uh, we hope to see you, uh, Somewhere in the world. <laughs> I'll be Definitely. wandering around. I'll see you later. Take care, Stefan. Mario, thank you very thank you, much. John.